So when she comes home, I'm in the backyard laying on the, on the pavement there, <laughs> passed out. And I woke up and the dogs are licking my face. And she goes, what is wrong? With you? Are you okay? <laughs> so she, I go, oh, I had too much. What, you were supposed to meet me in this and that. Well, as it was, she walked back to the police station, found the car, brought it back. And it was probably the only time I missed work with Talamo that I didn't have, you know, where I didn't feel good like yeah. I'm drinking, but I didn't make it to work the next day. The 37-year wait is over. American Pharoah is finally the one. American Pharoah has won the Triple Crown. This is unbelievable. Zenyatta, what a performance. One we'll never forget. What a race. What a sport. What a horse. Arrogate rocks in the Pegasus. Well, good morning, evening, afternoon, whenever y'all are listening to it. Welcome back to the TVG podcast. Mike Joyce here, and uh, I just want to be brutally honest with y'all. I have not had a chance to prepare at all for the open or the close of this podcast. Um, I don't know why. I'm just sitting at home like the rest of you. It's it's crazy, though, because while we're doing the safer at home thing in California, yes, we have a title for it, as all Californian things have a title. We even call our freeways the, um, even though they're just interstates. While we're safering at home, I made that into a verb, uh, I have a 10-month-old, and it makes things um, difficult, and my wife works full-time, and I've got two teenagers, and as anybody who has teenagers know, they're useless. I thought I was going to put them to work and watching my kid, and then I could you know, get things done around the house and possibly, just maybe, prepare for my job, but I can't. So... Uh, I did put time into the interview today because I'm actually really excited about this. It's an interview that my producer, Alexis Garski, actually brought to me a couple of weeks ago as a possibility. So we've had it on the horizon for a little bit, and I wanted to make sure we did it right. We're going to have Scotty McClellan, famed jockey agent of Chris McCarron, Joe Talamo up until recently, and someone who's been on the Southern California racing circuit his entire life. He goes back, I think the first jockey he represented was Frank Olivares, father of Christina Olivares, now Christina Blacker, my colleague, so on and so forth. So our six degrees of separation keep coming around in five, six, seven different ways. It is a very tight-knit group at the racetrack. But um, jockey agents are not something I really know much about. I never pay attention much to that part of the industry. It's just really not my purview, right? I... I cover horses running in circles. I do have a lot of opinions on the jockeys, and I do watch how things go on. It would probably help me a little bit because we all play the, as my friend Chris Katulak would call it, the jockey hopscotch game. Well, he took off this horse to ride that horse. What I have learned from talking to agents, what I have learned from talking to jockeys, is that whatever you think happened behind the scenes probably didn't. 99.9% of the time when I'm just looking at a program or entries or a form and saying, oh, well, why'd he ride here and he'd go over there, I'm wrong about it. I'm, I'm wrong, and most people are, unless you understand why. There are some obvious things. Certain riders will ride for certain barns. They might give up a mount on a horse who looks better because they have to take their business to this. There's contract riders for certain owners, et cetera, et cetera. And the obvious things, yes, I think most people can see that unfold. It's the question mark moves. Why is this jockey here? Why is he there? Why did he do this? My favorite and old adage was, oh, well, so-and-so sticks around to ride the nightcap. More often than not, when they're taking entries, you're not going to know 
when that horse you're taking a mount on is going to be in the race that or where that race is placed. It, it could be the third race, could be the last race. I know for years in Southern California, we would usually close out the day with a maiden 20 claimer because one, we never seemed to run out of those horses. I don't know why it seemed we always had a ton of maiden 20 claimers. Two, there was actually a method to that madness. Uh, my old friend Hammer, who used to run the racing office there, Rick Hammerly, he would go to contests and seminars and talk to horse players and, and a lot of their customers. And he found that a lot of horse players wanted that chaos at the end of the card. They wanted that maiden cheap claimer to kind of throw a monkey wrench in the machine works pair mutually. If they needed a get out race to chase, if they wanted to throw it in the pick four, there was actually a real reason for that. Um, it turns out those races are actually more formful than people think. You think it's a crazy race, but they have more favorites winning at a higher percentage of the time than a lot of other different conditions. But the perception that there's chaos in a maiden 20 claimer, and then the fact that when things do go awry paramutually, you do get monstrous upsets that you can't make any sense of. The point being is, the reason I got off on this tangent, is that when jockeys take a mount, that's usually a deal brokered long before entries. They don't know when that race is going to fall. The only time they can get off is at scratch time. They're like, all right, I'm taking off this horse. But a lot of riders won't do that, especially in this day and age when we don't have as many horses as we used to. We don't have many days as we used to. Um, the point being, I've never paid much attention to agents until today. So we're going to go a little deep here. I'm going to use that cliche, the deep dive. So you know I haven't prepared when I start using cheap cliches because really that's that's everyone's fallback. We're going to do a deep dive here with Scotty McClellan. No, I am going to go. Um, I want stories and we're going to ask him about some things um, that happened. There. He's a great storyteller. And that's one of the reasons we brought him on here was to replicate those conversations that you would have with a few cocktails and since you can't see me, perhaps I have one, perhaps I don't. Um, don't tell my boss I'm drinking on the job. So Scotty's going to join me, and we'll see where where this takes us. I, I also want to just say, we try to keep these a little evergreen, as they say, where there's, there's no real timestamp on this podcast. So it's not, hey, today, it's Thursday, May 14th. It doesn't matter when it was recorded. You can listen to it whenever. But I will say this. It is nice to finally have racing back in Southern California. It's very nice to have it. And it, it was a long time off, but it, I, I am not going to pretend that this is my place to speak political opinions or, you know, I'm not a medical expert. I, I'm not a public servant. I, I don't espouse uh, those beliefs to this podcast audience because I don't think this is the place for it. Uh, but I will say, just from a very selfish standpoint, it's very nice to have racing back. And I think all of us um, welcome it back into our lives. And we'll talk to Scotty about that a little bit as well. So that's what's coming up on this podcast. And we'll have Scotty right after this. Hey, guys, Brittany Ayrton here. If there's any way you missed hearing the Gary Stevens and Mike Smith podcast episode, be sure to catch our exclusive broadcast of the podcast available now on the Watch TVG app. Don't know about the Watch TVG app yet? Oh, you're missing out. Be sure to head to tvg.com slash promos slash watch to learn about getting TVG and TVG2 in crystal clear high definition from the comfort of your own home using only an Amazon Fire Stick, Apple TV, or Roku. You'll also gain access to award-winning features and interviews in the on-demand section. So be sure to visit tvg.com today to learn more about Watch TVG.
Well, everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I am pleased to be joined on the line by Agent Scotty McClellan. Scotty, how you doing? I'm doing good, Mike. How you doing? Uh, well, uh, actually, I have to say, um, in these crazy, strange times we're in, it is really nice to have racing back. And I'm sure, like everybody else in this industry, it must be a welcome relief for you to kind of have the horses back running around the racetrack again. Yes, but it's very strange because January 5th, Talamo went to Arkansas, and that was my boss. Well, when he went there, I'd been kind of at home already. And then I was going to work for Umberto Rispoli and start in March or the end of March, April or whatever. And then they do this uh, thing. So I've really been uh, staying at home since January. I'm way ahead of you guys. I already know what to do. But, <laughs> you, uh, you were sheltering in place be- before it was cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was one of the first ones. But uh, then I was all excited. I started working. It just when I was ready to start, boom! That's you know we've been two months away from the track, and now agents are banned from the track. So now I can't even go to the track. I have to stay at home or on the phone or whatever. But we can't even go there to watch the races. We can't watch workouts. We can't talk to trainers unless it's on the phone. Yeah, so I mean that's a big change for you. And speaking of change, the the thing I've I've really uh, kind of picked up on you, kind of watching you over the years, and because I've only been in Southern California for twenty years, but in that time you've had like one jockey. I mean you're you're a long term relationship kind of guy. You get involved with them and you stick around. Yeah, I had McCarran for twenty one years. I had Solis seventeen. I mean together, both of them for many of those years together. I've had well McCarthy like three years, Oliveras five years. Castaneda a year. I've had it like 16, 17 jobs. I, you know, I had Talamo from when he was 18 till he was 30. So 12 years. So I always try to get with the even tempered guys that are easy going and try to, it's just easier. <laughs> it's a tough, it's a tough game and you don't want them, uh, you know, it's tough enough just working for them and then taking the highs and lows if they're real, you know, if they have a lot of highs and lows, you know. Well, the thing about Joe Talmo, very well behaved, very even keel when it comes to things of that nature, but I seem to only run into him when he's misbehaving. I only get to see him. I mean, I see him at the track and interview, but then I get to interview him and hang out with him, you know, after jockey karaoke when the booze has been flowing. And he was actually, I want to get, I wanted to get him on at the same time, but it's kind of difficult right now because I'm, I'm the technical crew on this podcast, so I couldn't, but I was told to ask you about a tale um, where I believe Joe said it's the only time he's ever seen you overserved, and it was that someone had set up a tequila and margarita stand at the Gap in the morning. Was this? Is this? Does this sound familiar? Yeah, uh, that was something I wanted to forget. But <laughs> Ivan Pewich, who was an old time agent around for a hundred years, Alan Balch wanted to award him with a reward, like a some kind of thing to honor his great career. So at the Gap, and, and Ivan liked to drink. So at the Gap, at eight in the morning, there was a bar serving margaritas, things like that. Well, I haven't even eaten anything. Well, Ivan's grabbing me. Come on, have a margarita. So, so I had one, and pretty soon it led to two, and then three, and I think I had four margaritas. I mean, they were in the little plastic, like plastic cups. They weren't like huge drinks. They were probably like having two of them, but early in the morning, like that. It took its toll. 
And I went through the morning, and then pretty soon I get a phone call from Talamo, Mike Pipey, and Big Scott, uh, Pipey's owner, and they said, we're going to lunch at Senna on Myrtle. And I said, well, when I get done with the draw, I'll meet you guys over there. Well, I've already had a couple drinks, and I hadn't eaten anything, so I'm going to meet up with them. And lunchtime, I go in there. Here comes Joe flying. to the. He sees me walk in. Here comes shots of tequila. I still haven't eaten. <laughs> so he has me do a shot of tequila, and I, I'm not really good with tequila. So we laugh. We have a few beers there and drink. And when they get done with lunch, Big Scott and Mike take off, and Joe and I are left there. But we drank, and pretty soon uh, Joe says, let's go grab some sushi across the street. We're crossing the street, and I've already had too much to drink. I, I look at Joe, and I go, Joe, didn't we just eat lunch? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, but that's all right. We'll just have something light. Well, we go over there and have another couple of drinks. We come back to Santa after we eat there. I was standing on my head. There were two people in the restaurant that knew me, but they also knew my kids. They were texting uh-huh. my kids saying, like, what a messed up <laughs> guy I was. So I'm getting these phone calls from them. Dad, what's wrong with you? We stayed till almost dark. My car was parked at Monrovia by the police department. You can park for eight hours. Well, my car's parked there, and I got there about one, and now we're, I can't drive. Yeah. So I started walking home. I have keys. I hate carrying keys with house keys and all that. Mm-hmm. So I unclip them, and I just keep the car keys. Mm-hmm. So I left the house keys in the car. We walked all the way home, and Joe's filming me walking, bumping into trees and <laughs> this and that. So I get all the way up to the front door, and I look at my car, my keys, and it's just to the car, you know. And I go, oh, this ain't good. <laughs> so he goes, what's wrong? I said, I don't, they're back at the thing. So I said, I'll just go in the back. Debbie will be home. And I was supposed to meet her at a dog park, oh, bring gosh. the dogs and meet her at a dog park. Well, I never showed up. Yeah. And believe me, the whole time we've been together, Mary, I've never missed anything. So she doesn't know where I, no idea. So when she comes home, I'm in the backyard laying on the, on the pavement there, <laughs> passed out. And I woke up and the dogs are licking my face. And she goes, what is wrong? Are you okay? <laughs> so she, I go, oh, I had too much. Well, you were supposed to meet me in this and that. Well, as it was, she walked back to the police station found the car brought it back and it was probably the only time i missed work with talamo that i didn't have you know where i didn't feel good like i'm drinking but i didn't make it to work the next day but joe at the end i said joe now this isn't a good thing you shouldn't tell anybody about it it was fun just don't tell anybody well since i wasn't there the next day he went to every barn showing the video of me ah. drinking. So when when I showed up, everybody, oh, did you have a few drinks? I, you know, I said, Joe, this doesn't look good. So that's, but that's Joe. Everything was a joke with Joe, everything. Oh, God, Joe. that's beautiful. I knew, I mean, well, yeah, that's how I found out about this. <laughs> you got to ask him about that. Okay, Joe, I, I asked him. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing, and, and your guys' relationship persisted after that. So that, I mean, Look, you got to be proud of what Joe did. I mean, I know he, he left town in January, and that that's no good for you because he's been, you know, your your partner for the last twelve years. But you got to be proud of what he did at Oakland because he went there and kicked ass. Oh, oh yeah. He 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 told me about it going in. He said he was gonna that Brad Cox was gonna give him a shot and this guy and that guy and 
plus we had a few Southern California guys running some horses and stuff. And I, I knew he would do well, but you know, I mean, my wife is here. My daughter, my daughter was having her first child. Uh, I'm my grandparent now on January 14th. Congratulations. Uh, first baby Ella. Yeah. Thank you. And my mom's 93 and she lives in uh, Arcadia. So I couldn't go back there and I wouldn't, you know, you know, it was just, I wouldn't be here for the baby's birth. I would be back there. I'd miss my mom and my wife. So I said, Joe, I, I can't go. I said, I wish you all the luck in the world. No, I'm happy for him. I'm very happy. for him. He's a great kid and Elizabeth and his two boys. And you know, it's, uh, it's great that he moved back there and is not doing so well. And hopefully he'll continue it at Churchill. Well, I look at the list of your riders, and I, I read an interview with you for a while from a while back, and it said that you know, and it's true because all the riders you had were pretty high character guys, which sucks. Because one of the questions I was really hoping to ask you, I'm like, oh, I'm going to get a jockey agent on for the first time. I'm going to ask how many of your jockeys have you had to bail out of jail? I'm guessing the answer is zero. Zero. Oh. I've never met. No, I wouldn't bail them out if they call me. <laughs> how many, have you? Do you know any agents? And you don't have to say names. Do you know any agents that have had to bail their jockeys oh. out of jail? Uh, not really. I mean, you know, I, I think if something like that happened, I don't think they'd be kind of spreading it around. True. So, yeah. So, I mean, cause it doesn't look good. So, um, I don't know of any, but I'm sure it's happened before, but I've never had, I've never had that, uh, problem so, with any of my riders. So I know back in the day, um, you were pretty tight with the, the late Bobby Frankel and, you know, he was, he was an interesting cat. Um, I didn't know him personally, but one of the strange things is when I took the job at TVG in 2001, like in the infancy of the network, and I was a production assistant, my job was getting Todd Shrub coffee. Um, and the thing that was crazy to me was that the two best trainers in the world at that point, you could make the argument, were Bobby Frankel and D. Wayne Lucas. And neither one of them had any liking for TVG because we were an upstart network. We did something to piss them off in the early days. So Bobby Frankel was virtually off limits to us for the first, you know, three or four years. And then he started to soften and he had a decent relationship with Frank Lyons. And, you know, we, we started, you know, being able to get access to him. But I mean, one of the most brilliant horsemen that's ever thrown a saddle on the back of a racehorse, but the, I mean, just a unique personality. I mean, you must've had some, some really wild stories just, and I know he wasn't like a wild party guy, but you must've had some, some crazy times with him. Well, just funny things. He always, you know, he, he would do funny things. He, he loved the game Miss Pac-Man. So he buys the game. Nobody has a Miss Pac-Man. He buys like the stand-up so arcade game. Up, yeah, the, where you sit on a chair and it's it's a table. It's a little thing and yeah. you're moving the thing. So he invited me over. He says, we'll get some burritos. We'll get some to eat. We'll go there. We'll play Miss Pac-Man. I says, all right. So when we ate, we I get over there. He says, go ahead. Go ahead, Scott. Go ahead and play. So I start playing. I like playing. But, you know, you put a quarter in, you lose, or whatever you put in, a dollar, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So, his, you didn't have to, but I would play the game. So, I'm playing along, and uh, I make it a couple boards, maybe. And then uh, my turn's up, and then Bobby says, okay, let me, let me go, you know, let me show you how it's done. So, he goes over there. He went to boards I've never seen before. He was sitting there for like an hour playing the same game. He was so unbelievable. But I mean, just funny, thanks, Scotty. You know, and he was like bragging about it. But my best story about Bobby Frankel was a story that I've told many times. One year, my jockey got hurt in the starting gate. Marco Casaneda broke his arm, and it was right after I had Daryl McCard for a long time for three years. And Daryl was back east; he got injured, 
He came back. He started too soon, re-injured. And then when he came back, he hired somebody else. So I was already out of work for quite some time. And the very first day I had Castaneda, he broke his arm. So he was out. So now I haven't worked for a while and I had a lot of bills and things like that. So I couldn't go to Del Mar. So Bobby says, what what are you going to do for Del Mar? I said, look, I don't have a jock. I'm not, I can't get a place. You come and stay with me. So it was me, Bobby, Al Schweitzer, who was his exercise boy and hi, his uncle. But as it was, he would send me to the, I, I, he goes, you got to do some stuff. He'd send me to the grocery store for groceries. I'd come back with the fruit and he would scream and yelling. Who bought the fruit? You're not going anymore. He didn't like the fruit I bought. So now, after a while, he gets up there and he'd come home one day and he goes, Scotty, I found the best fucking ice cream you've ever tasted. I said, what kind of ice cream, Bobby? He says, it's Haagen-Dazs chocolate chocolate chip. You try it someday. I says, okay. So he would brag about things like that or, mm-hmm. you know, if it was his car or restaurant or whatever. So one day, I was bored. I went to the track for a while. I surfed or fished. I came home, came into the kitchen. I opened the freezer and there's a half a carton of chocolate, chocolate chip. So I ate it, threw it in the trash. I finished it. Well, not much. It was just a little bit. So all of a sudden here comes Bobby through the door and he goes, I have had the worst freaking day. (laughs) I said, what? what happened? He says, well, first of all, I lost an owner with three horses, all of them sitting on wins. The guy got mad and this and that. The one's going to win the stake. My best two-year-old got hurt, you know, shin splints on my best two-year-old today. They claimed a horse from me for 50 that's probably worth 100 He said, the only thing that kept me going was the chocolate, chocolate chip. And I go, oh. <laughs> you know. So I'm watching TV while he's talking and stuff and I'm thinking, if I run out of here, he'll know I ate the chocolate chocolate chip. <laughs> so I waited about 10 minutes. I changed channels, and he's walking through the house. He goes into the bedroom. He goes to the bathroom, this and that. And he goes, I'm going to get some chocolate chocolate chip. He's like a little kid, you know. So finally, I said, Bobby, I got to go. I got to meet somebody. So I get, I was getting ready to go, and all of a sudden, here he heads into the kitchen. And I'm, I'm getting my stuff, trying to get out of there, and I didn't quite make it. And I heard him go, somebody ate the chocolate I said, no kidding, but I knew Hi was there and I knew Al was there. So I knew he couldn't just blame me. So I didn't say any more and he's screaming and ranting and raving. And when Hi comes home and Al comes home, he's screaming and yelling about the chocolate chocolate chip. The next day I came home and opened the freezer. Al and Hi had bought every container of it was two layers of chocolate, chocolate chip. The whole freezer was loaded with about 20 of them. So it was kind of a funny story. But, oh. but he was like a kid like that. But he had the best car, and every restaurant he'd take you to was the best restaurant. And he lived in the best house. Everything he had Well, he was certainly competitive. He was a, oh, he was great, great trainer. He was so – he was just amazing. And he played poker with these guys with the horses. He he knew. I mean, nowadays it wouldn't work as well because guys just randomly claimed horses off you, and you don't know somebody would take it. But he he would lose the horses that basically were not going anywhere, mm-hmm. and they wouldn't take the ones that he really liked. 
I mean, yeah. he'd move them. He'd win for 25 with them, and he'd put them back in for 62-5. And nobody would touch him. And then he'd drop them back in for 32. And then everybody was petrified to touch him. And he'd move them back up. He just he was just amazing. Yeah. And then when he got good horses, which were like Judd Monson and those, I mean, he had already had all these claimers and were able to manage them so well that when he got the good ones, he just took off because he, he did a fen- you know phenomenal job. Well, I always heard that the thing that he, he was kind of like a savant with, with racehorses and, and their health and their ability. And he, he could just, he just had like a sixth sense and it wasn't so much something that he had learned. I mean, he was a, an excellent horseman um, as far as like the skill set. but I just, I've, I've always heard that he just had a talent that was there from the beginning. Well, it's possible. I mean, he was a gambler and a hot walker and he started working at the track and then he got a horse or two, but I think he dealt with so many claimers and there's so many issues with them that I think he, he was able to manage them and keep them together and kept running, wouldn't over race them. Mm-hmm. When he did get the quality horses at the end, you know, not at the end, but his last 25 years of training, he had already dealt with the claimers and knew how to move those around. Now, he was getting the Judmonts and the, you know, the big time horses that he did a, you know, a fantastic job. He just was, and he would never over race them. And he would, he would back off when the time, you know, if it rained and sealed track and he liked the horse, he'd scratch and he wouldn't run and he would wait. You were, you were talking about Daryl just a moment ago. I, I totally didn't even realize until we were having this conversation, but he was um, inducted the hall of fame this year. Yes. I, I called him and told him congratulations, but I'll tell you a funny story about him too. My brother, we were trying to beat Steve Cawthon's record. Steve Cawthon was the first jockey to earn $6 million in one year in purses. Yeah. So McCarg is on a, we're right near the, you know, we're, we're on a pace that we can pro- maybe beat him if everything goes right. Well, when Delmar ended, we didn't have anywhere, you know, they had Pomona at the time. We didn't have anywhere to run for like three weeks. So we went to New York. So when I went to New York, I gave the business to my brother. Mm-hmm. I said, you handle Daryl's business. Here's all the calls. You do what you want. These are, you know, it was a week left of racing at Del Mar and I was on my way to New York. I said, let me just tell you one thing though. There's a trainer named Ted West has a filly named Splashem. Whatever you do, Daryl does. He just won on her. He doesn't want to ride her back. She's really uncoordinated. She's clumsy. She stumbles and things like that. Do not ride this filly. They're going to beg you to ride her. Do not ride the filly. He goes, okay, that's the only instruction I gave him. Yeah. Otherwise, manage these rides, you know, the best you can. I leave. So I'm in New York. I get a form. I look. Best bet of the day, splash him with McCart. <laughs> I said, what, what is wrong with this guy? So I, Ronnie, what do you, oh, they told me she'd win. I told you that you, it rains in, in uh, Del Mar. Which it never does. Splash him goes out wins the race after the race she crosses her front legs daryl goes flying over her head lands on his face knocks the front tooth his front tooth out if you look he lost his front tooth oh god i mean it's not funny but i mean it was it's funny now after it's all done the one rule i told my brother not to do i let him have the whole money for the whole week you can have all the money whatever you know so you can have a little extra or whatever. I said, just don't ride this horse. And he did. 
Well, I mean, I mean, that's, and that's, I mean, that's gotta be the hardest thing to do is, you know, try to spin someone off a horse after they've won on them too. Cause they're going to be coming back. Oh yeah. Oh sure. And they get upset. And, I mean, he rode some great horses one year. He won 136 races. I think the record was 138 with pink eye mm-hmm. and McCard won 136, one winner yeah. at Santa Anita. He rode Mr. Redoy Vigers. He rode every stakes winner practically. I got him in the end of 77, and uh, so that would have been 1978. So we we did uh, unbelievable. So what's that like for you? I mean, because it gives you, you know, an excuse to reminisce and go down memory lane with him. But, I mean, this is a guy that you had, you know, almost 30 years ago. How did it make you feel to see him now get recognized? Because it is well past the end of his career for him finally to get nominated and then and then put into the Hall of Fame. Well, you feel good. I mean, you you know you represented him. I wasn't his only agent, but I did have him for three of his better years, at least in California. And uh, it makes you feel good. It just you know, you worked hard for him. He worked hard. We did. We were on a great run, and it's. Uh, I mean, that's like the elite. It's like getting the uh, you know, the Eclipse and Hall of Fame is like so far out there. There's very few Hall of Fame riders and Hall of Fame trainers and. I mean, anyone that gets in the Hall of Fame in any sport is a phenomenal feat because it isn't easy to get in. I mean, it, you can ride your whole career and do very well and never get in. And a lot of trainers that haven't got in and, you know, and great, great horses that haven't got in. You know, I mean, the, the ultimate ones usually get in. But uh, it's it makes you feel good. What was it like for you um – I, I read the story about how the, you know you, you were first introduced, not introduced, but how you first got Chris McCarron's book, and then how that day you said, "Hey, this is the, I'm the last agent he's ever going to need," and it, it played out like that. Um, what was it like? Well, yeah. I mean, those those two decades of working with Chris McCarron, because I mean, an all time great, one of the best money riders that's ever straddled a horse. What was it like for you to be, you know, have that book and be able to to shop that around? Well, it was great because number one, he was uh, in. Let's put it this way: I got him on March 17th of 1980. And I had him till June 23rd of 2003. And his last winner was came home. But the whole time, never one disagreement, never one thing did he ever say to me like that wasn't nice or got mad or anything. He was a class act. And you were riding the best horses around. I mean, you know, John Henry and Ali Sheba and horses like that are just the ultimate, I mean, just great, great horses, you know, and, uh, win a couple derbies on with Ali Sheba and go for gin. I think we won five or six breeders cup classics and just phenomenal. You're dealing with the best of the best. I mean, and a great guy, you know, so it was fun. It's fun when you're in demand and they want you and you can kind of pick and choose a little bit. And, uh, you know, and then the rewards, obviously if you win a race, it's so much fun. I don't care what race it is. I don't care if it's a maiden. I mean, obviously a stake or a group one or something is totally exciting, but any race you win, it's a, it's an exciting feeling. It's fun. You, you know, it's something it keeps you going and you can't wait to get out there and go to work again and root for them again. So it, it's fun. Well, I, I could do this. We could probably do like four or five episodes like this, but I do have yeah. to, I do have to get, to the end game of my interviews. And I don't know if you've listened to this before, but all of my guests have to go through a five question gauntlet known as Cinco de Thinko. Are you familiar with this? 
No, I have no idea what it is. Okay, so Cinco de Cinco. Here's the game. I'm going to give you five questions, all right, and you have to try to answer them and get them right. It's very simple. The first four questions are normal questions. The fifth question is always the Kent or Corey bonus question. So the answer is going to be Kent DeSormo or Corey Nakatani for question number five. The other four are regular. Okay. You think you can handle it? I don't know. I'll try. All right, here we go. Scotty McClellan, Cinco de Cinco with famed agent Scotty McClellan. Question number one. Name two grade one horses that your jockeys, jockeys you've represented, have ridden for my wife's uncles. Do you know who my wife is? That's probably the first part. Yes, yes. So you... Dina. Yes, Dina. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, right. Your jockeys have ridden grade one winners for for two of her uncles. Name, Name them. Well, it would be Simon Bray, I guess. No, that's and it would be no Simon Bray's oh, her brother-in-law. Brother. Oh, un- uncles. Oh, uncle, uncle, she- uncle. Yeah. Mike Bello, megahertz. Ding, 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 ding. That's one. Okay. You're halfway home. And okay, I'm trying to think of uncle. Something I'm blank on the little, other. This one's a little bit trickier. Okay. So, all right. So you're. You've timed out. So you got it half right. You get a half a point here. The other one is obviously okay. her other uncle, the late Joe Scardino. Oh, my. So just, right, right, yeah, right, right. I wouldn't have. Yeah, I yeah, I, I messed up on that, but I would have known. I got a Mike Mitchell story, too, but I can't. We'll have to do that another time. Oh, no, you can do the Mike Mitchell story. This is this is absolutely. Bring the Mike Mitchell story out. <laughs> I want to hear the Mike Mitchell story. Okay, well, one day, Talamo was just starting to work horses for uh, Mike. Yeah. So we're working horse in the morning. I had my motorhome parked over at Hollywood Park. I didn't have any electricity hooked up to it. And Joe on Friday nights would ride his horses or anybody's horses Friday nights. Then he would go and sleep in the motorhome at night and get up at five in the morning, go get, you know, brush his teeth, go to the kitchen, get coffee and head to Mitchell's barn and work like 14 horses, not just for Mitchell, but everybody, but he might work five, six, seven in a row for Mitchell. So now, we started riding all these horses, or working them, riding a few, and all of a sudden one day, I think Valenzuela was on three horses for Mike Mitchell, and he took off. And when he took off, I heard about it. I called up Mike. I said, Mike, you need riders for these three horses. I'm open with Joe in all three races. And Mike goes, oh, geez. He says, oh, I'd love to put you on, but Ron Anderson called me, and Gomez is in town. And I put him on all three horses. Now, Ron, I started kind of, he used to hang around us. Ron's the greatest agent of all time. Mm -hmm. He used to hang around around us. And, you know, he had no no background with horse racing whatsoever. Kind of hung around us. Well, he started out, first few years was very tough for him. But eventually he made it to a phenomenal, you know, he did unbelievable. So, but when he first started out, he was working at 7-Eleven. So I said to Mitchell right then, I said, you know what? If I wouldn't have brought him around the track and made him an agent, I said, he'd have still been at 7-Eleven. I said, I bet you'd have been a manager by now. And Mike Mitchell started <laughs> laughing. Oh, my God. He just thought that was the most hilarious thing. I didn't get to ride the horses, but it, it, was, it was funny to me. Ron Anderson, <laughs> the 7-Eleven manager. I'll, I'll be yeah, sure to bring that up but, with him next time. He might be my next yeah, agent. Yeah, bring it. Oh, he doesn't. He doesn't like he doesn't like that story, but 
I mean, you also tell him that I think he's the greatest agent. I mean, he's just he's phenomenal. I mean, the jocks he's had, and he's done it on the whole national level. It isn't like me staying in Southern California, basically my whole career. Ron's done it in every venue, you know. He's done unbelievable. Yeah, but, you know, the first question I asked you was about the Ivan Pewich tequila stand at the Gap. So, I, you know, I, I can right. run him in rough. Um, all right. right. Okay. Se- second question on the Cinco here. Second question on the Cinco. Okay. We go, this is TVG talent based. Um, who is taller, Simon Bray or Matt Carruthers? I would say Simon Bray. Simon Bray, you are correct, sir. Okay, so you're okay. you're one and a half out of two. You're doing all right. Okay, yeah. Number three, because I don't I don't frequent um, many of the hangouts of, of jockey agents. So I, you're the first agent I've had on the show. Can you name the only jocks agent I've ever gone to dinner with? Who is the only agent? Jim Pegram. Ooh, so close. Brad Pegram. Brad Pegram. Brad, okay. Well, yeah, the right I family. said Jim because he looks like he, he might have went to a few dinners. So I, that's <laughs> why I said Jim. Oh, I hope he listens to this. <laughs> That's great. Oh, uh, so I think you almost get a half point there because you had a Pegram, right? There's, there's, you got, yeah, it was close. Pegram, yeah, yeah. Like, wrong one, yeah. Okay, um, now we're gonna go to another uh, topic that you should know. In 2018, jockey Joe Talamo won the inaugural Del Mar Jockey Karaoke Contest by singing "Play That Funky Music, White Boy." What song did he encore with? No idea. I wasn't there. Oh, Scotty, how could you not go? I didn't go. Oh, that's, oh, you were my favorite jockey agent until just then. No, it, my wife had surgery on her uh, neck. Okay. All and right. was we, out. You had a viable excuse. Yeah, so, yeah, and I was like taking a to care of her, so we didn't go. All right. Okay. You, you have an alibi, but. Um, okay. So I would hope he would have told you. So he won with Play That Funky Music, White Boy. His encore was Soul Man. So. Right. Oh, Soul Man. I, yeah, I, well, I saw the videos. I just couldn't have told you the. Oh, I seen the tapes of the thing, but I remember. I remember him practicing the thing. Oh God, he 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 is. I mean, literally, if we might not have that event this year because of the COVID nineteen in the shelter at home, and you know, it's very questionable oh, about whether God. you can even have you know a tenth of the capacity yeah. of the belly up. So it's looking like it's going to be postponed at least until the fall. But I don't think anyone's wow. going to be more broken up about it than Joe. I mean, he is a karaoke yeah. fool. He loves it. I know. Oh. Oh, he loves that stuff. Okay, so we have uh, we've we've gone through the first. Four I didn't s- do too good. Well, you're, you've okay, got- number five is either Nakatani or Destormo. Yeah, it's the Kent. So I got a it's fifty the- percent shot. Yeah, it's the Kent or Corey quiz. Uh, it's the Kent or Corey quiz question. The bonus question. Right now, whose haircut does my hair more resemble? Right now, as of the the recording of this show, so whose haircut is more like mine? Right now, Kent I would or Corey? say Kent. Kent. Correct. Oh, you got a shaved head and Corey. Oh, I'm right. You're right. Okay, yeah, you good. shouldn't. Don't change your answer. We'll give it to you. Yes, Kent Storm. Because I usually yeah. have the same yeah. haircut as Corey. We basically have like very short hair with like a little bit of gel yeah. in it, and that's it. But in I well, don't know good. why my my lockdown haircut has been. I'm, I'm long and I'm like trying to comb it. It's like all over the place. So I look a little bit more like Kent. So you did well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> not, not really. I got I got one and a half right. <laughs> Eh, we, you know, well, you got well, you got two half points, so you got basically two, and and you know, almost got three. Uh, Scotty, yeah, I, I really appreciate yeah. this. Those stories were fantastic. Thank you so much for uh, giving me your time. Anytime. Thank you very much for having me on. All right, stay safe, my man.
We'll be right back with more right after this. Well, that was great. That's the first time I've ever had an agent on the TVG podcast. So Scotty McClellan, and we could have done a lot more of the traditional, how'd you get into this? I mean, his his life story is great, but he has so many stories in his back pocket. We certainly have to put him down for a re- return appearance here on the TVG podcast. That was uh, great stuff. But um, few agents have ever enjoyed the level of success that Scotty McClellan has. I mean, I... I know more now because of being at the racetrack for the last 20 years as much as I have been working for TVG. But for the most part, throughout the years, the only jockeys agents I really knew uh, or I'd ever heard of was Ron Anderson and Scotty McClellan. And I know Brad Pegram because I'm friends with him personally, and he's got Mike Smith and, and Drayden Van Dyke. But, you know, I didn't, you don't really hear much about the agent game and the dynamics behind the scenes and everything that goes into get mounts and hustling them and working them. And you got a little bit of a taste there and you got to hear some great stories of, you know, one of the best racing circuits in the whole world, Southern California. And, and Scotty McClellan has been a mainstay. So that was excellent and a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, I'm really glad he could join us. Hope you enjoyed that interview. Hope it was enlightening and as entertaining for you as it was for me. On our next podcast, I have no idea who we're going to have because, you know, that's days away before we have to record it. But in the meantime, I just want to say to all of you out there, please, um, hopefully you are all staying safe and staying at home and doing what you're supposed to be doing. And someday there will be light at the end of this tunnel. Uh, Right now, there's a light on your TV screen from TVG, and hopefully we can distract and entertain you as best we can. Thanks for listening. We'll talk at you next time. 